I felt like a tour guide for the last five or six weeks ever since Easter. Uh, we've been walking through 1 Corinthians 15. We're going to continue today. Uh, and uh, as our tour guide in Israel would say, uh, and we go. Uh, <laughs> I actually, though, want to back up just a pinch from where we read today. We started, you might have noticed, some of you, I'm I'm certain noticed, actually, a couple of you, because we started in verse 35, our reading today, but we left off last Sunday uh, in verse 28, and there's like this little gap in there that I skipped over, and not because I'm afraid of it, uh, maybe just a little bit, because it does talk about being baptized on behalf of the dead. And I'm just going to tell you, I don't know what that means. Uh, I have no clue. And apparently the commentaries don't know what this means either. And, I, and so it's sitting there in verse 29. Uh, Otherwise, what do people mean by being baptized on behalf of the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are people being baptized on their behalf? Uh, this is not a practice that is common, uh, certainly today. Uh, I'm not a, aware of any historical precedent uh, for uh, taking Paul's words as normative, uh, but people seem to be doing this at some point back then, and he's saying, well, some people among you believe this thing, uh, namely that people will be raised from the dead, and in fact, some people uh, among you are even being baptized on their behalf. But here's the part I want to get to. Paul says, why are we in danger every hour? Right? And he's talking about himself, his contemporaries. And if you know Paul's life at all, you know, uh, indeed, he he is in danger quite a lot. Uh, He talks about it throughout his letters, uh, the danger that he faces. Uh, And uh, he even says, Uh, I protest, brothers, by my pride in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord. I die every day. Uh, Namely, I I die to myself. I uh, I am giving myself over every day on your behalf, on the behalf of the church. Uh, and, And he's saying, you know, essentially, why would I be doing this in this life If all there is, is this life, and there's not something uh, awaiting me on the other side. But then he goes on. He says, what do I even have to gain if, humanly speaking, I fought with beasts at Ephesus? This is a wonderful line here. I fought with beasts at Ephesus if the dead are not raised, right? And he's saying, look, I've been through uh, hell and back uh, for you and for the church and, why, and, and for Jesus. You know, why would I be doing this if, uh, if I simply, at the end of my life, uh, I die And then that's it. And I shake hands with death, and we go on. And he says, very clearly, he says, If the dead aren't raised, well, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Which is a great uh, Old Testament uh, quotation there. Here's what I would want you to take away from this little bit that uh, uh, we've skipped over, and and I hope to come back to it at the very end of the sermon here, is that, Paul needs to remind them and us that the good news of Jesus Christ needs to be given uh, to all people, yes, but certainly to the right people. And sometimes we think that the good news is, is like only for those people who are doing okay and, uh, and who've kind of dusted themselves off and, and have figured life out somehow. And, and then, and only then, uh, the good news of Jesus Christ uh, belongs to them. 
And Paul is saying here, no, no, the good news and the hope of Christ, what belongs to those who are in agony, to those who find themselves in prison, to those who are dying every day, to those who are, who are fighting their own beasts and demons out there. And I know uh, this applies to many of us in this room and to many of you at home. And that uh, the good news of Jesus Christ is for you. And then he goes on. And this is our passage for today. He says, uh, but someone will ask, right? Someone will ask. And uh, in case, just in case you've not been following closely enough or maybe you forgot, the real question uh, that he's asking is back in, in verse 12, and he's, he's addressing some people in Corinth who have said that, it, uh, now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, some of you are saying that there is no resurrection of the dead for, the, for, for everybody. And he's saying, and, and they're saying that this life is all there is to live. And so, in our verse today, he says, so some of you might ask, all right, so let's say there is a resurrection from the dead. How, then, are those dead raised? And specifically, with what kind of body do we get raised with, right? What does the resurrection body look like? Which is a fascinating topic, you know, and we should await this with with bated breath, because I think we all might be asking this question on some level, whether it's for us or, or maybe a, a parent or a grandparent, and we're thinking, well, what does come next? What is that next life like? And Paul, uh, earlier in this book, uh, this letter he's writing to the Corinthians, he'll, he'll admit that some of what he's talking about is like looking into a mirror or into a glass that is uh, dim, and that it's hard to see exactly what comes next. And yet, he certainly, he's not afraid to go there in this passage right here. And he seems to have some insight that's, that's worth diving into. And so he says, Oh, you foolish person, right? He assumes that this person is not asking in earnest, but that they are uh, continuing uh, to be skeptical. And he says that they're foolish. And then he says, what you sow, right, that seed that you put in the ground, what you sow does not come to life unless it first dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat, or of some other grain, or maybe a sunflower, or a wildflower, or a tomato, or whatever seed you put in the ground, right? It looks nothing like what pops up out of the ground and grows into this glorious, splendid thing. And Paul's using this wonderful analogy here uh, of, uh, of sowing seeds and putting them in the ground where they seem to die, and they are buried, only then to be raised up into a new kind of glory that they did not have before. Frankly, it's the perfect analogy. I wish I had analogies like Paul has analogies. I, I, 
I would be a better preacher if I did. Uh, and so I'm just going to stick with the one he's got here. He says, God gives it a body as he has chosen. And to each kind of seed, its own body. For not all flesh is the same. But there is one kind for humans. There's another for animals. Another for birds. And another for fish. And you might be wondering, well, what is happening at this point? He's, he switched analogies now. He'll come back to the seed one. But for the time being, he's, he's using, he's actually th- throwing us back again, once again, uh, to, to Genesis chapter 1, to the creation of the world. And he's using all of the creatures that God creates in the opening scene of the Bible. When God creates... The order God creates in is actually the reverse order of what he uses here. And he creates birds, or sorry, fish, and then birds, and then animals, and then humans. And Paul reminds us here of this creation and the fact that all of the creation, they get their own kind of flesh. And they look different. And we don't need Genesis 1 to tell us this, we just have to look around the world, right? We just have to look at the puppy dogs that uh, come up to us and the fox that that runs across the street. And we just have to look at the fish that swim through the pond uh, in this little creek back here. Uh, And we realize, yeah, each, each of these creatures has a different kind of flesh. And they look different. And his point is going to be this, that, that when God creates... He has the capacity to create new things and different things. And we should expect the same, indeed, with the resurrection. And he goes on, and he says, so if these are the earthly things, well, there was also this other part of the creation that happens in Genesis 1 with the, uh, the sun and the moon and the stars, right? Well, Paul covers it here. He says in verse 40, there are heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the glory of the heavenly is of one kind, and the glory of the earthly is another, and there's a glory of the sun, and a glory of the moon, and a glory of the stars, and stars, they differ from stars in glory. It's not surprising at all to find Paul talking about the glories of uh, heaven or the heavens, This is a common thing that you find throughout Scripture. One of the things I'm drawn to is Paul's recognition here that the glory of the earthly things exists. That there is a certain glory for creation itself, the physical creation, the one we live in. And we dare not say otherwise. That the beauty of this earth is something that God created and is good and is worth praising God for. And he goes on. And then he gets to it. And he compares at this point in verse 42 and what follows. This body... And what's coming next? And he says, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown, back to the seeds, sown perishable, 
it can die, is raised imperishable. It's sown in dishonor, and it's raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, and it is raised in power. It is sown a natural body, and it is raised a spiritual body. I just need to slow down for one second. And in some ways, what I'm about to say is something I don't need to say at all, because I think we all know it. We all understand exactly what he's saying when he tells us that the bodies that we currently inhabit are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and will someday die. These aren't facts we like to face always, but they're nevertheless the case. About a month ago, maybe a little less now, I was playing uh, soccer with my son's soccer team, uh, coaching it, and I was, uh, I'm too old. (laughs) I'm getting too old to run with the 14-year-olds, and we were playing, and there was a moment where I I was into it, like really into it, and, and was sprinting faster than I have in a while. I was starting to get winded, and, uh, <laughs> and nobody was around me, and I just simply tripped. I tripped on my own feet. It was embarrassing. Uh, and then all of the boys came and like leaned over me and said, are you okay? <laughs> to which I, I, I tried to say, yeah, I'm fine. I tried to do the manly thing uh, and say I was fine, but I was not fine. Uh, because I had fallen on my, my, uh, my hands, uh, and I essentially punched myself in the gut. Uh, and I literally, uh, I couldn't breathe. It was like I had a collapsed lung for a second. And I, uh, and I was struggling to breathe, much less like say anything to them. Uh, and to, to be the the coach, right? You're supposed to be, and to be a man, and, you know, to do that sort of thing. And so I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm, I'm going to be okay. Hey. So that happened. Uh, I left the field eventually uh, embarrassed, but I, I thought it was okay. And, and then I wasn't, uh, because, like, the next week rolls around, and I could, my ribs were just like, you know, I was like, oh, something's, something's wrong. And then, of course, I did the other manly thing, which is to say that nothing's wrong uh, and to just keep living with it, which is what I've done ever since until finally last week, my wife said, you have to go to the doctor. And I have a, a visit on Monday morning. I say all of this to say, I feel like none of this would have happened about 10 or 20 years ago. But as you age, right, uh, your body gets weaker and weaker and weaker. And some of us know this in less funny ways, as uh, I've, I've been to uh, the hospital actually quite a few times this week. And um, there's uh, a lot of pain. There's a lot of sickness. There's um, a lot of bodies that over time, just simply begin to break down. And um, as I read through this verse, 
I don't know, 25 times probably this week. Uh, and, and I thought about like what to say. I, I, the, the fact that we get one body in life, right? And this body, trust me, will one day begin to break down and to prepare for that. And Paul recognizes it here when he says that we, are so, we, we sow this thing, uh, it's a perishable item. At some point, this perishable thing that is our body will indeed succumb to what it is. It will perish. But there's other parts to it that perish as well, actually. He even says here that it's uh, sown in dishonor, which the first time I read that, I recoiled against. And I said, Paul, come on. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean? Right? Dishonor. And then I thought about it, and um, I kind of sat with that one too. And there is a sense in which the soul, over time, uh, is allowed to be or becomes dishonored, to use his word, or stained by sin, or plagued by one's uh, bad choices in life, perhaps even addiction. And so, yes, the soul or one's body, one's life, indeed, can become quite dishonored over time. But the good news is that in the same way the perishable becomes imperishable, so also the dishonored becomes not just honored, but glorified. It becomes, it is raised in glory, is the way he puts it. And this body that indeed is sown in weakness, and we know this weakness too well. Sometimes it's a physical weakness, isn't it, right? But sometimes it's a weakness of our will. And we want to do this one thing. And if I could just do it, I'd be a better person. And... My will is weak, and I don't become that person that I should have become. Or, or maybe it's a weakness of my mind, especially over time. <laughs> that mind doesn't do what I want it to do. But maybe it's not even over time. Maybe it's just what it is. And the weakness of our mind leads us to a place where we don't think straight. And we should have. And we need something more. We need it to be redeemed. Or maybe it's a weakness of our emotion or our ability to hold those emotions in or to understand them properly or to uh, deal with them in a way that's healthy. We all have emotions, right? It's a matter of do we allow them to control us or do we find ways to control them? Whatever that weakness is, indeed, Paul reminds us, we are sown in weakness. But the good news of Jesus Christ is that on the other side, we are raised in power. We're raised in power. 
And then he says what, uh, man, if <laughs> I can't tell you how many words are written in the commentaries on this passage right here. It's just filled with lots and lots of explanation. I'll do my best to give you what I think is going on here. He says, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. The, trans, there is no great translation possible, but the natural body here is to say it's a, uh, the, the natural, some other translations I forget now, say something like uh, a physical body, I think it says. But, but the real word there is suke, which is a soul. Our soulish body, body being important here, the body with the soul uh, is sown, and then it's raised a, a body with a spirit or a spiritual body. I think I've misspoken here, because what's really at, uh, uh, what's going on here is not so much that the body has this thing, it's that it's governed by it. So the body is governed by a soul, and the soul in this case that Paul is talking about is one that can become dishonored and can wear down and can be weak. And then it's raised a spiritual body. That phrase, spiritual body, is an, uh, an odd phrase because when we think of the spirit, we don't think of bodies. These two things don't always go together. And so what Paul is not saying, and this is important, is not that our physicality dies and we become spirits in the netherworld or something it's that we are raised a body, but these bodies are governed by the Holy Spirit, very specifically, but by the Spirit in a way that makes them imperishable and raised in glory and raised with power. And in that way, they're quite different than the sort of life we're living right now. And he goes on. And he says in verse 45, thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The first man, Adam, became a living being. And the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. There's so much that's, that this just jumps right out, right? So he again is drawing us back where... Well, this time to Genesis 2, not Genesis 1, but Genesis 2 and the creation account of what's happening with Adam, right, and the creation of Adam. Very specifically, Genesis 2-7, if you, if you want to kind of start getting there a second, I'll, I'll get there. But <laughs> you don't often get this might be the only, I should have looked this up. Uh, this might be the only place where Jesus is called the last Adam. Sometimes we call uh, Jesus like the second Adam, which is also appropriate. But the idea of there being an Adam and then needing another Adam, right? One beginning with the first human and, and then a new beginning with Jesus, 
right? And Paul puts his finger right on it and says that we need these both, both of these beginnings. And he's quoting, just so we're clear, again from Genesis 2-7. And so if you're there, this is... Seven. This is the creation story of Adam. Uh, nothing has been created yet in uh, Genesis 2. And uh, in verse 7 it says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust, the man of dust, remember that phrase, uh, from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. He, 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 he blew into his nostrils the breath of of life. It's God who's breathing with the wind and blowing this breath of life into Adam. And then what happens? The man became, my uh, translation says, a living creature, a living nephesh, a living soul. And if we turn back to 1 Corinthians 15, this is what he's quoting here. He's saying, the first man, Adam, became a living Soul. That's the word in the Greek. I don't know why they say being. He became a living soul. And this soulish creature, right? This, uh, uh, how does he put it? Uh, the, the soulish body that is Adam, well, it needs to be transformed. It needs something else. And so what do we find? We find that Jesus, the Christ, as he calls him here, the last Adam became a life-giving spirit. This is some pretty high Christology, if I can just use fancy words for a second, uh, where we get uh, an, into the Trinity in a way that we don't always get into uh, with Paul's letters. Because what he's doing in this verse right here, by equating Jesus as the one who gives life by blowing into the person, Adam, and into the future with our resurrection, he gives us this new life. He is putting him in the place of what God is doing in Genesis 2-7, when God forms the man of dust and breathes into his nostrils the breath of life, so also Jesus, the one who was raised from the dead, will one day breathe that same breath of life into us, and we will become spiritual bodies. He goes on. It is not the spiritual that is first, but it is the natural or the soul-ish, uh, and then the spiritual. Again, Paul is concerned with the order of things. We must start with the first Adam and with this natural world or this soul world that we've been living in, and only then can we get to the spiritual life. He says, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. Again, clearly, folks, Right, this a man of dust is like the phrase from Genesis two seven. It's very clear that Paul is taking that passage and then he's just kind of riffing off of it. He said, if this is what creation was like the first time around, there's going to be a new creation the second time around, and it's going to be similar, and it's going to be different. And he said, the first man was from earth, a man of dust. The second man, well, he's from heaven the place where the, the spiritual realm is. 
As was the man of dust, so also are those of the dust. And as is the man of heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. And this is just one more way of saying what we said a couple weeks ago when he's comparing Adam and Christ and and posing to you, are you of Adam or are you of Christ? And here he's saying, are you a dustly creature that will simply perish someday or are you of this other kingdom? Are you somebody who is indeed chasing after the things of heaven and the man of heaven, as he puts it. And lastly, in verse 49, he says, Just as we have been born the image of the man of dust, we we have uh, Adam's image still. We, We bear it to this very day, for good and for ill. He says, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. There's a few things from this passage that I just kind of want to leave you with. One is, it's a tremendous amount of hope, is it not, right? I mean, the great Christian hope that uh, one day the healing of the world, uh, the healing of all humanity will happen. And as we are in Christ, and as we are of the man of heaven, so too we will be resurrected and given new bodies that do not perish, that do not fail, that are not weak, and that indeed are not dishonored, but are glorious because our Lord and King is glorious. The other thing I'd want you to know is, is, is there is this continuity between this life and the next life, right? Uh, there, there's a weird theology out there that I don't know how it got into our system, but it's uh, a theology that kind of says, well, get yourself saved now and then just coast for the rest of your life, and then when uh, you die, you go to heaven, and all will be well then. And that's not exactly uh, at all, actually, uh, what our New Testament teaches us. We are to be recreated, at least to start that process, in the here and now. And we are to live into this new kingdom with a new king in the here and now. And we get some, some practice in the here and now of what it means to be kingdom people. And so there's this, this continuity, even if there are some differences, some continuity between how we live in this life and the life to come. And the last thing I'd say is that while uh, we do anticipate the life to come will be a life without tears and without pain uh, and with, with no mourning and no sadness, as Revelation 21 talks about, right? We don't have to wait till then to begin a life in the Spirit now. In fact, not only do we not have to wait for it, We're not meant to wait for it. The Holy Spirit is meant to be a gift given now so that we live these kinds of lives and and we become these kinds of people here and now so as to bring more people in. And 
I beat this one like a drum. I know I do. But Galatians uh, and the fruit of the Spirit, I can, I can think of like no better way to start thinking about the way we should be in this life, right? People who live by the Spirit, who are spiritual bodies, to put it as he says it, We won't do this perfectly now, but to be people who are in this life beginning to to learn the motions of living spiritual bodies, we are people who who love, right? And sit with that one. Like, talk to your friends about it. Talk to your neighbors. Talk to your spouse, your children. Like, what does it mean to be people who love? To be people who who give themselves over for the other? What does that look like? And and sit with it and, and really live into it and lean into it. Or to be people of joy. What does that look like? Paul talks ad nauseum about joy, and he does so in the midst of some very non joyous situations, right? And so we don't have to wait for everything to be right to be joyous. How do we live in the here and now, even in the midst of our struggle and trial and tribulation, in joy and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control? All of these things, like... I'm out of time. I'm way over time. But to sit with them and to allow them to wash over us again and again and again, that we might be these kinds of people. This is, this is what we're trying to do here. This is what God wants to do in us. This is what it's all heading toward. And so let's start now. Why wait until that day we are raised from the dead We must start now. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Trinitarian God, who draws us, the creature, into your fellowship, that we might be like you, we, the created, might become increasingly like the Creator. God, you know what is best for us and you want what is best for us, which is why you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, to die for us and you raised Him from the dead that we too might be raised from the dead, both in the future at some point, but in the here and now, that our spirits might be in tune with your spirit. That we might be the kind of people who live spiritual lives now, filled with all of those things that accompany being a person of the spirit, love and joy and peace, etc. God, let us not wait. Let us take hold of that now and run that race while we have the time here on this earth. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.